Nation Log Live, back again on a Tuesday night to field your comments and questions about Star Trek Discovery. I'm Ken Ray. And I'm John Champion. This week, we're diving into Episode 7 of Discovery, Magic to Make the Sanest Man Go Mad. Now, the reason we do this show live is because we want to talk to you about Discovery. More importantly, we want you to talk to us. There are a few ways to do that. You can click on the link to our Zoom meeting. That's in the description above in the comments and right below this video. You can also call us 646-558-8656 and enter the meeting ID. Or you can use the one tap from your phone, which will automatically connect you. Remember that link and phone number change from week to week. Yeah, so don't commit those to memory. Just, you know, the time and the website, and that would be cool. And, you know, a lot of you already have committed to memory. I want to thank everybody who has been calling in every week, writing in every week, sharing your thoughts about Discovery. Um, We do still get questions from time to time about this show, uh, where to view it, where they can listen, things like that. And we want to make sure that everyone uh, can catch us live each week. So we're a couple of places. We're on... um, we're still on, forgive me, John, we're still on Mission Log Podcast. Uh, no, uh, Facebook.com slash Mission Log Pod. Correct? correct. Yes. Yes. Because they were talking about moving from one place to another. I know. We're also mm-hmm. on YouTube, though. And then uh, if you happen to miss us live, bummer, because boy, do we look awesome. <laughs> um, but you can, you can catch the audio version of the show as well. Uh, look for Mission Log Live on iTunes. Uh, certainly, you can find us, um, find a link to it on our Facebook page. And I think you can find a link to it on our uh, our website as well, missionlogpodcast.com. And then, of course, you could, uh, it would be great if you did call in, as John just said earlier, or videoed in, as John said, or you can also email us. And it, uh, the best place to do that is um, <laughs> missionlog at roddenberry.com. Yeah, I'm thinking about paying attention to what we say every week, John. What? Come on. Why start now? I know. Yeah. I know. <laughs> but but you, you bring up a good point, though. They, I, we get a lot of emails and a lot of questions saying, like, uh, so what is this? You have a you have a podcast now? What are you doing? And uh, we really just want everybody to go to podcast.roddenberry.com because then there's a link to everything. And, and this show, this live show, this is a separate entity from mission log from the regular mission log so if you want it regularly please subscribe to it please join us here on the live show because hey when it's live it's live and what i love ken is that we're already getting comments from our friends here who are watching us uh saying hello and happy halloween and uh somebody saying hello ken and ray still don't know who that is uh, uh, nice <laughs> and uh, and uh chris Riker saying uh rip shirt kirk and um yeah, it's uh, Kirk. What? Wait yeah. a minute. Wait, wait a minute. And, and somebody asking about TNG pajamas or TNG. Hoodie. No. <laughs> okay. Thank you. That's much yes. better. Okay. Yeah, I was going to say your shirt is actually. Uh, I didn't want to embarrass you, but your shirt is ripped. Wait, what? But as somebody what? pointed out, you are ripped shirt Kirk for this oh. episode. Yes. For this for this Halloween episode for this thriller of a Halloween episode. Mm-hmm. And uh, it's not pajamas, by the way. It's uh, it's a hoodie, as you said. Um, part of me feels kind of bad, although it's a hoodie with, you know, I actually bought this, this communicator badge I bought at um, Star Trek Las Vegas. No, not STLV. I'm sorry. The uh, Star Trek experience in Las Vegas at the Hilton, oh. um, like about the last month, I think that it was uh, that it was there. And you could argue that this is the worst Halloween costume because it's a hoodie. 
I argue that it's the best Halloween costume because I bought this hoodie so that I could dress up like Star Trek every day and not feel like a weirdo. I go to the store in this. Thank you. I go to the store in this. I go wherever I want to in this. And nobody looks at me like I'm a freak. But I know that I'm dressed like, you know, Captain Picard or Will Riker or other red shirts from TNG. So there we go. <laughs> uh, bravo. Hey, we're doing the You get a slow thing. clap from me. Yeah. Well, thank you very much. I appreciate that. You can wear yours anywhere you want to as well, John. Don't let people, just because people stop and stare and point, and then, you know, somebody's going to run up with a needle and thread and try to mend your shirt for you. <laughs> I, I have a costume Don't. or two that I, I'm not embarrassed to bust out at any point. So, um, right. yeah. <laughs> thank you very much, Mr. Grant. Mm-hmm. A little, yeah. little, little well joke done. there. <laughs> hey, we've got, we've got the poll going again this week because uh, I don't know what's wrong with people. I think we might have to shut the down, uh, shut the poll down. Uh, last week, we ran, well, last week we ran a question, uh, Sarek, bad father or worst father? Mm-hmm. And I'm ashamed to say that a majority of people got the answer wrong. Um, it was <laughs> 93.48% Sarek is bad father. Only 6.52% Sarek was worst father. Um, I think maybe the poll thing might be broken. Nope, nope. I think this is democracy in action. This is the, this is a true representation of the truth found in Star Trek. Yeah. Okay. That 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 could be. Yeah. Um. So we have a poll question this week. Would you like to tell people what that is, John? I would love to. This week, it's favorite creature on Star Trek Discovery so far. You have tardigrade. Or you have the Gormagander or a Gorgamander, Gorga, Gorgon, Gorg. Yeah, I'm just going to get it wrong. Yeah, Morgan Freeman. I'm going to get it wrong all show long. Uh, The Space Whale, the Gormagander, or the Tardigrade. Right now, the Tardigrade is in the lead, 69.01%, and the Gorgamander at 30.99%. All right. So I feel like maybe this week's poll is working properly. Hmm. I don't know about that. I maybe, maybe. Hey, by the way, before we get into anything else, there's something really important yeah. that I have to address, super important that I have to address. Uh, there's a comment here from Joy who says, let's talk about the party music. Now Al Green's catalog will definitely last millennia, but the Bee Gees question mark exclamation point. Listen, Joy, I don't know you, but... Um, we need to have a serious talk about the BGs because I will uh, I will take anybody to task who would uh, besmirch the fine name of Brothers Gibb. I think their their music should not only last for decades but for centuries and millennia beyond. Here's the thing, though. Somebody told me actually it wasn't the Bee Gees. It's well, I mean, it's obviously a mashup because there's some other beat going on there. Yep. Uh, somebody told me it was Wyclef Jean. Is that true? Do you know? I think that's right, but yeah, it is a mashup. It is a pretty clever mashup. It's well done, but you recognize that beat from staying alive when you go into it. So I was a happy yeah. man. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's 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 uh first of all, because they're trying to stay alive the whole episode. Yes. But then also it's the disco. So really. <laughs> right. <sighs> right. So if you have a comment that you would like to get into us, by the way, if you want to join us today. Um, uh, click on the uh, Zoom meeting thing somewhere on this screen. I feel certain if I do this, I'm pointing at it at some point. Um, it's in the description, actually, above. And in the comments right below this video. You can also call us, 646-558-8656. That number again, 646-558-8656. And enter the meeting ID, um, which ought to be there. 
Am I reading the right thing here, sir? Mm-hmm. Yep. Yep. Okay, good. Enter the meeting ID, and uh, or you can use the one-tap form from your phone, like John said earlier, uh, which will automatically connect you to us. And uh, remember that link and that phone number change. So don't get used to it. Get used to it. Don't memorize it. That would be the thing. Right. Right. So um, the next thing to do here, the next order of business, we do have uh, some callers who are almost ready to go, but we need to retell the story of what happened in Magic to make the sanest man go mad. Ken, if you would do us the honors with a quick recap of uh, this week's show. I'd be happy to, John. Hey, do you like a party? How about almost the exact same party every 30 some odd minutes, at least 50 some odd times in a row, each time ending in your death? If your answer is no, then you and science officer Stamets have something in common. See, his absorption of the tardigrade DNA has turned him into a man who exists outside of the normal flow of time. Of course, he probably didn't know that until time started repeating. How did that happen? Harcourt Fenton Mud. He's got a device that's taken he and the discovery out of the normal flow of time. They're set on a loop. His goal, learn the secret of Discovery's spore drive and sell the ship to the Klingons. It's his revenge for Lurka leaving him in that Klingon prison a couple of episodes ago. Needless to say, Stamets is going a little nuts, aware that he's living the same time over and over and unable to stop what's happening. Of course, he has all the time in the world to work out a plan. In the end, that hinges on Michael Burnham. See, Ash Tyler was in a cell with Mud for several months. He may know something that Stamets can use to stop Mud. But with so little time each time, Stamets can't get Tyler to talk. But Tyler likes Burnham, and Burnham likes Tyler. All Stamets has to do is convince Burnham time after time that they need to work together quickly. In the end, they get the answer. Stella. Mud's one true love. Of course, Mud's one true love is Mud. He skipped out on Stella a year ago. Now, with the secret of Discovery Spore Drive and the Discovery and Michael Burnham, the killer of Takuvma, Mud lets Discovery slip back into the normal flow of time and puts out the call to the Klingons. But this con man has just been conned. The crew of Discovery used the last go-round to rewire the captain's chair. When Mud thought he was calling the Klingons, he was actually alerting Stella and her father, the Baron Grimes, to his location. With assurances that he'll be kept tight to Stella's side, Discovery sends the Baron, Stella, and Mud on their less-than-merry way. Also, Burnham and Tyler kissed in one of the timelines. They don't remember it, but they know it happened, so they sort of got that going for them. The end. <laughs> well done, sir. Nice. Thanks. Um, by the way, the, the, this BG thing is taking on a life of its own here in the uh, in, in the chat <laughs> on Facebook. I, I kind of appreciate that. I I like it, you know. Um, but but somebody early on said in a comment that was Jim who said four words: science lab Christmas party. And I, nice. I hear you. Oh. I hear you. Mm, mm-hmm. Yeah, those are the days. You had to be you had to be happy to know that the disco actually knows how to party, John. Uh, yes, finally, right. finally. Yeah. I mean, think about how many times, again, we go back to Riker sitting in his cabin watching holograms of women playing lutes. And I'm just like, this is not a party. This is not, but this, this felt real and it felt vibrant. And I was talking to somebody today about how um, people who are deployed uh, in the military or, or I even heard from somebody who said, you know, I worked on a cruise ship for years. And they're like, 
this is what it's like when the crew gets together to party. <laughs> it's just, mm-hmm. you know, people are playing beer pong, maybe even by themselves. If you're Tilly, you know, you're, you're, you're playing beer pong, you're, uh, you're listening to disco and um, you're having a grand time. So yes, this, this is a crew that I could get down with. I like this. Um, should we go ahead and go to uh, Brendan and uh, hear what Brendan has to say uh, before we dive into our notes? I'd love to. Okay. Hey, Brendan, what's going on? Um, I was wondering about going back to the uh, the topic of uh, Ash Tyler. Uh-huh. What and about him? Specifically, I was thinking how Mud reacted to him today. Um, just with the continued mystery of who who is he? Is he who he says he is? And along with that, does Mud actually have any idea? Because it seemed both he and Lorca left him behind in the prison. He went after Lorca over and over and over again and obsessed about that. He did kill Ash once. <laughs> at, well, twice, I guess. Once when he shot him in the turbo lift and once when he... Uh, Oh, on the bridge when I gave him this. Yep, yep. And so I'm wondering, like, why doesn't he have the same vendetta with him? Is it just because, you know, Lorca's a bigger character? Or or is there actually something going on there? Um, Hmm. And why would Mud be in on that if there was something? Other than, you know, maybe he knows the guy just showed up in his cell and hadn't been there before. Hmm. Um, if he was a plant. Um, I pass. I don't know. I mean, it's an interesting interesting question. I mean, my assumption is that, that mud is just, I mean, he's going for the top of everything. I mean, assuming that anything he has said is true, which is not necessarily a safe assumption, except that both times we've seen him now, he really does hate Starfleet. I mean, he had his whole thing about, did you guys ever notice up in the stars? If you ever look out, if you ever look out the windows as you're, you know, sailing above the stars, there are lots more of us down here than there are you up there. And I mean, Lorca is, um, you know, the highest level of command that he's got access to at that point. So it could be that. Um, eh, I don't, otherwise, though, I don't know. I mean, that's, I actually found myself wondering, well, ask the question that I think you're asking about Tyler. Are you asking if, what are you asking exactly? (laughs) I'm asking, there's the conspiracy theory that he's really a Klingon agent, whether Mm -hmm. he's Vok or someone else. And the question of like, does, if that is legitimate, is mud in on it somehow? Um, Okay. Something. It's the thing that makes it difficult for me to think that that's the case is because, I mean, I don't know. I mean, the whole thing could be a misdirection. I was actually talking this over a little bit with a friend of mine earlier this week. Um, It seems like if Ash Tyler was a Klingon, he'd be fine with mud trying to sell the ship to the Klingons because then the Klingons win. But if he's actually tied in with the people who are following Vok, Vok would not be interested in having uh, the Klingons that are winning currently win or the Klingons that are fighting currently win. He'd be more interested in having, you know, the followers of Takuvma win, which we know call is not. <laughs> so 
but I mean, it's all, I mean, who knows? It's all like sort of misdirection. I mean, anyway, or it could all be misdirection. I mean, assuming any of it's actually happening, it's a theory yeah, that's I, going around on the internet right now. If they are playing him as a double agent, I think they're doing a really good job because mm-hmm. at this point he's been featured enough that he seems to be a character that his cover has motivations. His cover has personality. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. I mean, I like the character and if it's really all just a facade, they're doing a good job selling it to the audience. Um, at the I'm same sure time, they would be happy to hear that. Yeah. <laughs> Which would be very happy to hear that. Really because... good payoff. Um, yeah. On the other hand, I did, I have started to wonder, you know, maybe it is, maybe it is just that the writers of the show or the producers did get this guy to play one part, decided to have him play another part and decided it would be fun to play with the audience's mind by having him in both of them. <laughs> That's a funny idea. That's a really funny yeah. idea. <laughs> That's but a very I, funny idea. But I, people would be upset if they found that out later. Sorry, John, go ahead. No, I was say I, I didn't take too much more out of, uh, Mud versus Tyler in this episode. I mean, maybe even that Mud would have a little bit of sympathy because he is the guy that uh, that that he obviously allowed to get beaten up over and over for him while he was in that Klingon prison, and um, might also keep it a bit of an arm's distance because he might suspect that Tyler would want to take out a little bit of revenge for that. Uh, getting beaten up constantly in a Klingon prison ship. Um, But ultimately, you know, I I think Ken sort of on the mark here that uh, mud is out for mud. So whoever conveniently in the way of his plan needs to be uh, uh, killed or avoided or, or whatever to get to his ultimate goal in each timeline, it plays out slightly differently some of those involve Tyler a bit more in his face. Some of those don't. So I'm, I'm not making too, too much of it. Um, I, I was really more intrigued by that, that series of scenes where uh, Mud is taking out Lorca. I, I just thought that was kind of twisted, like almost in a funny way, <laughs> you know, as much as that can be yeah. funny. Yeah. Um, so I, I don't really have too much more to add to that other, other than to say that, yeah, we, we know that there's a history there with mud, um, but they didn't seem to really emphasize it one way or the other in this episode. Yeah. But I, I do like what they're doing with Tyler. And I like the idea that they introduce the, the hint of a relationship. Um, they're, they're making these well fleshed out characters. Um, and by the way, I'd be remiss, uh, Brendan, if I didn't say great costume, well done. So happy it's, Halloween it's, to you. Yeah, it's actually way too small. My 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 mom actually made this for me when I was in eighth grade. Oh no way. A long time ago. It's like I cannot zip the thing up. But <laughs> it's it's still awesome. And until I have enough extra money to get one of those really fancy ones, it's it's my go-to. <laughs> it's so cool. Oh, that's great. That's great. I love it, man. Where are you calling us from? Um, I'm calling from Maryland. Okay, nice. Well, thank you very much for joining us and uh, and well done on that costume. All right. Thank you. All right. Take care, man. Be good and uh, try his gun sometime. All right. Sure. Cool. 
You're right about the music thing blowing up in the uh, Facebook page. See? It's kind of interesting. Actually, Rick says, mm-hmm. uh, does anyone remember, and I know John will, mm-hmm. does anyone remember the god-awful space pop music from Buck Rogers? So glad disco didn't go that route. Okay, was actually, yeah, now hang know, on. H- hang on just a minute. Because n- no, yeah. not god awful, and and uh, that was actually that was Johnny Harris Odyssey Part One. That was a really progressive piece of electronic music that came out a few years before that episode came out. So if you look up Johnny Harris Odyssey Part One, you, you'll see that this was like ahead of its time. So mm-hmm. well done to him. Buck Rogers made it look a little goofy, though. I'll give you that. Here's what I will say. You were talking earlier about Riker sitting there watching the woman play the harp or whatever, right? I mean, the reason we have so many classical music, um, so many classical music concerts on TNG is because you don't have to pay Chopin. Yeah. Right. right. You don't have to pay Brahms. I mean, they're all dead. Star Trek at this point, I mean, CBS is, I mean, this goes back honestly to the whole production questions about CBS that people were asking forever ago, like, you know, flying over to Europe to get just the right color blue for the, uh, the costume. They're not going to spend that kind of money on like sets and decoration. And then like, you know, just put some loop from Adobe audition playing (laughs) repeatedly during the show. Right. I mean, they're actually going to blow the money on, you know, the Wyclef Jean mashup. Although I wonder, do they have to pay both Wyclef Jean and the Bee Gees at that point? Mm. Mm-hmm. These are the hard-hitting, important questions for which people turn to Mission Log Live, John. Yeah, yeah, this is important stuff. This is what, yeah, what the people but, really but, want to know. But I do agree because we we have talked about that on Mission Log before. How the they'll show music and it's always classical, primarily because of that reason. And then anytime in a sci-fi show uh, or or really anything when it's popular entertainment and they're telling you that this is what's cool, this is what the kids are listening to, this is party music, inevitably it's terrible and you've never heard of it. (laughs) I mean, one of the only times I can remember (laughs) an original song that was awesome, that fit the movie that you could actually believe was uh, That Thing You Do. Because you heard that song and you were like, yeah, yeah, I could believe that that was a hit then, you know? Yeah. Um, and then or the Robert Townsend. It did. Yeah. Yeah. Or uh, the Robert yeah. Townsend movie, The Five Heartbeats. They had a couple of songs that you just like, oh, yes, that exactly sounds like a Motown song that could have charted back then. But pretty we much anything else. This no. real- we have to get off this really quickly, but I will also say Eddie and the Cruisers. It uh, first yeah, oh, of all it brought yeah. us John Cafferty and the Beaver Brown Band, but then that was all made up music. I think for that movie, either that or they brought that band and you know took their originals. But that movie actually had a lot of really you know great music that I think was just for the movie. But I think we can yeah. all agree that the Buck music sucks. Hey, we hey, have another no! call. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you? <laughs> You're keeping our caller on hold. It's Earl. Earl Green is actually joining us. Hey, Earl. How's it going this evening? Earl, awesome. Just fine. You know, I'm, I'm glad we're talking about the music. Yeah. Because that's, awesome. uh, that's something I really wanted to address. We wait, really wait, 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 wait. Where are you calling? Are you calling from the warp core in your house? Or uh, what's... Home. Okay, because but you have a warp engine behind you, or something going on. It's, it, it's, these things happen. Okay, all right. Just <laughs> wanted to make sure. All right, go ahead. Of the, uh, in, my question is: We all need to put our heads together and figure out this um, timeline conundrum, because in twenty two fifty six, the BGs and EDM are a thing. Mm-hmm. By the mm-hmm. time we get to the first year of Picard's command of the Enterprise, 
apparently Spotify and the iTunes store are gone and we're limited to Mozart recitals and Riker doing smooth jazz. Um, <laughs> and my theory is somewhere in there, and this probably happened on Kirk's watch. Thank you, Jim. Mm-hmm. Is that, you know, some admiral got honked off and said, okay, nothing for the next hundred years except smooth jazz and Mozart recitals. <laughs> That's my theory. Wow. Wow. Um, yeah. So it was like the, 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 I was going like to say, the, there's the, your answer, John, to how we go ahead in time. Cause you said, Oh, if you go ahead to like the uh, 25th century, I will be disconnected. No, people will be rediscovering the hits. Okay. That's how do- I, that, that, that will be your bridge to, uh, to uh, the far future. Oh man. I'm really disturbed now. Cause I'm thinking what, what Earl is describing is like the PCRM of the uh, 24th century. And uh, I don't, I don't want to imagine that it's, it's beyond just warning labels. It's just like, uh, it, 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 or that, or it's like footloose all over again. Just, you know, Starfleet Admiral saying you can't dance anymore. That's uh, yeah. Oh, what a mess. <laughs> What a mess. Spanfic waiting to happen. Yeah, right. Right. You had to have something else on your mind, Earl. Um, I'm also liking the music in the show proper, the actual score. I'm, uh, mm. I know in recent years it's gotten to be in vogue for there to be sort of an ethnic mashup of sorts. And I think really that started with stuff like Battlestar Galactica, which don't get me wrong, that show had a fantastic score. I've gone back and listened to the soundtrack more than I've gone back and rewatched the show, but it's kind of neat that we have sort of a return to the style that Star Trek was being scored in before, you know, sort of the, the blood and thunder thing. And there's, there's a moment in this episode where, you know, we're sort of bringing things to a head as far as the time loops and they, they drop the dialogue and just dial up the music and that music was great. I'm hoping we actually get a soundtrack out of this deal. There was a moment, I think it was last week, when um, Burnham and Tilly are jogging down the corridor, and you hear the Discovery theme playing in the background, but it, it's sort of a different arrangement. And to me, the, the first, gosh, I mean, the first two or three times I watched it, it sounded like it was music being piped into the corridor. So like they're jogging and yet they're listening to their own theme song while they're jogging. And they're like every now and then a TV show or something will do that where the the music that you hear for the score is actually in universe music where like it's on a radio or something like that. And this is a really weird moment. It could have just been the mix that I heard, but it was like, wait a minute. They no wait, are they hearing this too? Like I'm hearing it. Well, the funny thing is, there is a precedent for that in the original series. They actually did that once because um, Conscience of the King, the sort of the reception aboard the Enterprise, what's playing in the background is, you know, again, a smooth jazz. It's okay. So we've narrowed down the, the years there. It's somewhere between 2256 and 60. <laughs> but the thing was in the uh, in Conscience of the King, during the reception that they have, once they have the uh, the actor's, the repertoire company aboard the Enterprise. Uh, the music that's playing in the background is the smooth jazz version of the original, you know, the Alexander Courage Star Trek theme. So in a way, there's mm. kind of an homage there. That's a really deep dive for an homage, but it's there. 
Yeah, no, that that is exactly one of those rare instances, but uh, but well done in there. And by the way, Earl, before we let you go, I just have to point out you have an ELO pin on. Well done, sir. Well done. <laughs> All right, man. Take care. Happy Halloween. Thank you so much for joining us. Thanks for having me. All right. We'll see you soon. We get a couple of uh, business things that we ought to do. First of all, um, we should remind people about the poll. Yes. And now, uh, forgive me, John, I've been clicking on the link in Twitter. Uh, where do people go mm-hmm. to vote on the question? Favorite creature so far, um, the tardigrade or gormagander? Gormagander? Gormagander. Space whale. Gorgo- Gormagander. Tardigrade or space whale? Yeah. Gorm- see, because it's written, it's written here, gormagander. Yeah, I'm going with Whatever. Gor- whatever. <laughs> Oh, oh, here it's written. Actually, it's written here. Oh, it's written two ways here. Anyway, the Gorgamander uh, okay. or the Tardigrade. That is the question. Uh, we would love it if you would please weigh in on the poll. And I guess that poll will actually be open until um, until next week, right? Yep. Sure will. Yeah. Sure but will. But go now because uh, vote early and vote often, as they say in <laughs> some parts of the world. Uh, we also have a, we have other actual business business to attend to, though, don't we, Mr. Champion? Yes, we do. So we like to remind people that we are brought to you by Eagle Moss, eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. Now, these are the starships, the teeny tiny starships that you've heard me and Ken talk about before. But this is a special collection of larger size ships made specifically around Star Trek Discovery. So as we've mentioned before, these are officially authorized by CBS Studios. The official Star Trek Discovery Starships collection is available only from Eagle Moss Collections. The special collection features brand new ship concepts and designs from CBS Star Trek Discovery. Each has gone through extensive reference study and has been reproduced under the supervision of Star Trek expert. We don't use that term lightly. Star Trek expert Ben Robinson for accuracy and detail. Now, the first ship that you're going to get is the USS Shenzhou. That's NCC 1227. Uh, and it's bigger. These are not the teeny tiny starships. These are the relatively small starships. No, they're not starship size, but they are bigger than the teeny tiny starships that you may have ordered already. Um, all the new ships in this special series are in the larger scale, yet, you know, they're still cast in the same especially uh, formulated metallic resin and hand-painted. In fact, um, you can see a bit more of the detail, of course, because, you know, they're a bit bigger. Uh, each ship also comes with a display base, plus the collector's magazine featured featuring both, you know, the information about the ship in our, like, real walking around pretending to be Star Trek people universe, and then also uh, stuff about them in the Star Trek universe as well. So there are limited quantities of this collection coming in early 2018. So now, right now is the time to guarantee your subscription by reserving your first ship, the USS Shinzu NCC-1227, for only $9.95 with free shipping. The ship itself will be sent to you on or before January 31st, 2018. New models will then ship monthly and will be delivered directly to your door. Subscribers will also enjoy an exclusive 20% discount on every starship in the series, along with free shipping. You may cancel your subscription at any time. But that would be a bummer, wouldn't it? It would. For details on the entire... Yeah, it would. (laughs) Right, right. You're going to scan one sail in and then let the rest of them just sail by? No. No. 
<laughs> For details on the entire collection and to reserve your place among the first to subscribe, please visit eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. That address again is eaglemoss.com slash discovery starships. And we do thank the good people at Eagle Moss for sponsoring this edition of Mission Log Live. So we're at about the halfway point. Mm-hmm. I think we have another caller lined up. Do we not, sir? We do. I believe we have Casey, who is joining us again. Uh, Casey? Hey, hey, it's Casey. Hey, Casey. What's up? How's it going? Happy Halloween to you. Captain, there'd be space whales here. <laughs> Giant space whale just beam it right into the cargo bay. That was nice. Yes. Yeah, uh, it, unless you're a space whale. Uh, did, did, <laughs> right. did you have no about gravity or atmosphere i I felt bad thank you all of a sudden it's sitting there breathing air yeah i mean it was just floating in space a minute ago and now it's just like you know plus it's got a spaceship inside it which they didn't know and it didn't know i guess is that still in the shuttle bay now that time's been restored it just i don't know that's there's got to be totally forgot about that yeah Wow. I thought, uh, see, I kind of thought it was something that if it could survive in the vacuum of space, I thought it's kind of, uh, again, like a tardigrade where it yeah. could survive just about anywhere. It's so it would be okay robust. inside, it'd be okay outside. It's incredibly robust. Well, no. Its only enemy is laziness. And, that's what's really <laughs> <laughs> and Harry Mudd. Hang on a second, though. Hang on a second, though. A tardigrade. A tardigrade is special because it can survive anywhere. I mean, you're saying, so by your reasoning, we should just be able to bring a whale to work, right? In a perfect (laughs) world. uh, Well, well, yes. I mean, obviously, we would like to work in a place where we're allowed to, but I'm saying, you know, I think taking it out of the vacuum of space and putting it in the not vacuum of the cargo hold may not have been the best thing for it. (laughs) I'll tell you, though. Um, the cool thing about having it in this episode is uh, I think it uh, actually solved the mystery of what happened to Lieutenant Barb. Um, <laughs> it's, and I think it's pronounced, <laughs> it's Halloween, I think it's pronounced the uh, Demi Gormagander. <laughs> nice. Oh, nice. nice. Well yes. done. That's good. Hey, I got a question, actually. Something came up for me in this episode tied, actually, to the Gormagander, and I'm not trying to, like, you know, sway the vote either way because it happened with the Tardigrade as well. As well. Excuse me. As well. Haha. <laughs> Would have been funny if I'd meant to. Um, what is up with Michael Burnham and the animals? She's got a thing for the uh, Tardigrade. I don't mean a thing for it, but she's got, like, this affinity for the Tardigrade, and then as soon as the whale gets there, she says something like, okay, okay, girl, let's see what's bothering you or something like that. And I I tried to go back through and figure out like all the times that we've had animals like show up prominently in Star Trek. And of course there's the Star Trek movie with the whales. There's, um, there's uh, Captain Archer's dogs. There's uh, Spock and Aichaya. There are puppies all over the Enterprise 1701D. Yeah. I think it's just hard living on Vulcan, you know, when you can't uh, express emotions um, you, between other sentient beings, it's like it's like a whole planet of toxic masculinity, and so uh, Spock at least has Aichaya to cuddle with, right? And uh, right. Mm-hmm. Burnham, just as, as someone who you know, she she's devoted herself to logic. Uh, I think she just likes being around animals. Yeah, uh, well, right. uh, uh, one of our uh, listeners here, Chris Dibble, Chris Dibble points out, and Todd does too. She is a xenobiologist. 
So that is uh, that is her thing. But, you know, I, I go back to Devil in the Dark. There, there's Spock having this emotional connection with the Horda. So that kind of kind of paves the way for a, a parallel story when we're introduced to uh, the Tardigrade. And they both share the, the same the, Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The, the Horda wasn't an animal, though. The Horda was just something we didn't understand, right? It, it was an animal we didn't understand. We're all just animals. All right. We're 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 all just, just animals. Yeah, well, that's true. Don't that's understand true. each other. Yeah. Biological machines. <laughs> no, I got to say, uh, I really want one of those kooky bug helmets, and I want to know more about it. Yeah. See, I saw that, and I thought that was something from like an Ultraman episode. I mean, I really did. I thought it was like from a Japanese uh, uh, production in the 70s. I mean, it was yeah. cool, it was but rad. I couldn't figure it out. Yeah. I want to know, know more about it, but mm-hmm. I, I don't think we're ever going to get to. Mm-hmm. Um. I was but, thinking it might actually be armor for an Andorian. Oh, nice. Ken Ray coming in, connecting the dots. I like that. <laughs> well this done. show, this show is so good about fleshing out this world. And that's what I love about it. Uh, uh, I'm getting my roommate into it. And one of my favorite weird little things is uh, the scene where um, Vok is going on to the Shenzhou and he's got this little atmospheric thing and there's a uh, computerized Klingon voice that tells him when there's atmosphere. And that was just like a little touch. I'm like, of course, like other aliens have robot voices too. And that was brilliant. You know, other aliens have spacesuits too. We finally see spacesuits in this. Mm -hmm. And uh, I love it. They're playing within the sandbox in a way that only Enterprise and uh, DS9 have, have played before. And it's, it's, it's wonderful as, as someone who's geeky like me. You know, I, you mentioned Enterprise, and and I think most Enterprise fans, and I, I count myself among them, you know, we hold up season four in such high regard for connecting all those dots back to TOS. But sometimes it was so in your face, you know, the, the Mirror Darkly episode where they they literally uh, uh, show you the mirror universe. They beam them over to the defiant. And it's a little bit of fan service to say like, yes, we're going to put these characters on the bridge that you know and love from the original series. What has been so interesting to me about discovery is that, you know, watch it two or three times before we do this show and watch it with uh, uh, subtitles so I can read all the names and I'll, I'll, I'll watch it uh, in such a way that I can pause and, and hopefully look at some of the details. There are so many little nods to TOS and other Star Trek throughout that, you know, when I, when I hear people say things like, Oh, these writers have no idea what they're doing. Oh, they, they haven't watched Star Trek. I'm like, it's right there all over the screen. It really is. And, and not just the, the little, you know, like having a Gorn skeleton, that's kind of an obvious one. But, you know, they're using the uh, the stellar cartography map um, that that is the official published star, uh, stellar cartography map to show you the Klingon and Federation border. And seeing names pop up like Rurapente and all are like, oh, yes, yes, I know that. That exists in that universe. It's really and they're cool. doing it elegantly. They're not shoving it down our throats. They're, uh, they're, they're, they're very smooth about how they do things and they're very deliberate. They're not just uh, picking names out of a hat. You can tell uh, that the, the creators of the show are big fans and they know their stuff. And I think mm-hmm. uh, Kirsten Bear, uh, I'm sorry, Kirsten uh, um, Bear, I don't know how to say her name, mm-hmm. is yep. probably a huge part of that because uh, the things that they did, she's an author, of course, and the things that they did with the novel series 
from 2000 forward, you know, with uh, Marco Palmieri as their um, editor, they did some incredible, uh, incredibly cohesive editorial things. And she's bringing all of that to this production. And I'm sure the other people are as well. I, I, I love it. I think it's, it's, it's beautifully and uh, elegantly done. Um, along those lines, there's people commenting right now who are saying, uh, Nathaniel says, I love every moment there's a TAS shout out. And yes, there are. We had Aaron on a couple of weeks ago who hosts uh, Saturday Morning Trek saying that that whole thing with Alice in Wonderland is a big reference back to the animated series, uh, which it's fantastic that they would be uh, the, that detailed in their rewatch, which clearly they did uh, going into this show. Somebody asks, um, yeah, didn't uh, uh, Harry Mudd rob a bank on Beta Z? So I love the idea that you, you just throw out a name that we really don't get to know until 24th century track, but we're establishing that it exists. We're saying that this is a thing in this universe. And which, what, what a wonderful uh, take that uh, uh, Rain Wilson is, is doing with this character. Uh, he's taking this character who, if, if anyone's listened to Women at War, uh, you know, they break down this character, Harry Mudd, uh, really well. And if you're not listening to Women at War, you should, because it's awesome. Um, but they're taking all the very problematic parts of this character and the way that he was treated back in the 60s, that's this whimsical, you know, terrible person. And, um, and they're taking all that and they're putting a totally different spin. Like this is a villainous, horrible, you know, potentially serial killer person who, uh, is, is, uh, he's a sociopath and he's, and he's charming and strange. And, uh, and, and that's fantastic because they're being true to the original, but they're putting it in a modern light. That's much better in my opinion, um, than we have been able to do in the past with problematic things in our culture. So really right. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, by the end, by the end of Mud's women, he was practically part of the, he was delivering half of the, you see Timmy at the end of that episode. And you sort of forget that like, oh, he was trafficking women. Right. <laughs> and also helping them like, you know, get it over on the minors as well. I mean, he is a reprehensible character, but I don't know if it's because you couldn't do really reprehensible characters on 60 CV, like truly reprehensible, or if it was because uh, everybody loved Robert Carmel so much. I don't know what that is exactly, but he was, he was a lovable trafficker of women. <laughs> he was a rapscallion <laughs> guy who hated his wife. I mean, it was like, yeah, it really is. It has been great. It has actually been great. And yet you can sort of see, you can sort of see how this character becomes that character. I mean, obviously you can't completely, but you can almost see how this character becomes that character. Cause I don't think life is going to go easily for him now that he is back uh, under the Baron's care, let's say. This show is doing such a good job of, of recasting these very familiar things in a totally different light, just like what they did with Sarek, you know, recasting that, that whole conflict that he was having with Spock over, uh, you know, going to Starfleet. And then it's like such an unusual thing that he kind of, you know, influences uh, Michael to go into Starfleet. Well, it's like, well, is it Starfleet that he's having a problem with? There's something else. I'm like, that was well done. You know, how they, how they retconned that. It's smooth. Very smooth. I love it. There, there, there's our favorite word, 
retconning. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, Casey, thank you so much for calling in again this week. Pleasure to hear from you. Love from Santa Rosa. Thanks a lot, guys. All right. Cheers. Take care. Thanks we'll a lot. talk to you some other time. So, uh, hey, I'm going to. I know we have another caller coming up, but I have a question that I have to throw out because it's something yes. that I've been noticing over the past couple of weeks. And now I'm mm-hmm. curious about it and I just want to keep an eye on it. And I want to know if you have any guesses or if anybody has any guesses, I'm really curious what Lorca's thing is with Burnham or what Lorca's thing with Burnham is going to end up being because he has a special interest in her. That is not just, she's a member of the crew. Um, he arranged to have her brought on board discovery. First of all, I know that's never stated, but it's certainly implied um, last week in late day. Uh, he told Tyler to bring her back unharmed or to not come back at all. Tyler thought he was talking about the ship, but he's like, no, I'm talking about her. And if you can't do that, then just don't bother returning. And then this week when they were firing uh, down in the hold, uh, the first thing that he said was um, he asked, um, how she was. He didn't ask how everybody else was. When he heard that there was firing down the hold, he asked how she was doing. And then he instructed her not to go after the hostile. Yes. So I'm just, I mean, it's, it's, it's weird. It's not overstated. And he certainly never said anything to Burnham. Quite the contrary. He said nothing to Burnham that indicates that to her, but like same thing happened last week with Tilly. Uh, Cause I think Burnham said, no, Tilly said that uh, that he had practically adopted Tyler, and and Burnham said, "I can't imagine that." Until he's like, well, "He practically adopted you, right?" What she didn't see. It's just it's 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 interesting. She is a subordinate, obviously, but his interest in her is more than just she is his subordinate. And I'm curious if we're going to get hints about that or if it's just going to be some giant reveal in the end or what it is. So it's one of the things that I'm actually finding most interesting about the show because they're not hitting you over the head with it. But every now and then it's like, what's his deal with her? Yeah. I mean, we're still trying to figure out Lorca and what his, yeah. what his command style is. And a lot of it seems to be pitting people against each other. And, and maybe that's part of it, playing favorites. So then, you know, I, I still I go back to that line in uh, episode three where he, uh, you know, points to Stamets or I'm sorry, points, points to Burnham and asks yeah. Saru what he thinks of her. And this is the finest, smartest Starfleet officer I've ever met. And then he points to Stamets and says, see, and he knows you, which is the, the best put down I have ever seen on this show. Really yeah, clever stuff, but he's clearly orchestrating the way he plays his crew. But but I, I agree with you. There's something more there with Burnham, other than just being the star of the show. Maybe right. I am also he he. I think had my favorite lines. Well, there were there were there were a lot of really good lines this week. I mean, even if you don't like the plot, which I enjoyed the plot enjoyed personally, the plot. but even if you don't like the plot, um, there was just a lot of really clever writing this week. And of course, well-delivered lines as well. Like the whole thing, the second time through when they find the Gorgamander or Gormagander or whichever it is, <laughs> when, uh, when, when, um, when Burnham says, I'd, I'd like to take point on this. And Lorca says, I don't give a damn. And then, yes. and then Tyler says, and I'd like to back her up. I still don't give a damn. 
I, yeah, it right. was beautiful. It was it was well done. Um, yeah, really quick. Anyway, yeah. we have other things we should do though. Like we have another caller to talk to, don't we, John? Uh, we, we we do in just a second. Uh, although I have to point out that the poll is still showing the tardigrade ahead. Uh, we're getting more and more vote, votes in sixty nine point six one to thirty point three nine percent tardigrade versus Gorgamander. So um, there you go. There you go. Um, Yeah, I do believe we have Sam unless Sam was having some Internet issues still. Sam, are you there? Maybe, maybe not. Uh Oh, yeah, I think Sam is having a connection problem. Sorry to sorry to hear that, Sam. We should maybe, well, let's give, let's give us another minute to see if we can get Sam. I do want to remind people though, there is something else coming up after this show. Mm -hmm. Uh, They've actually moved a little bit because they were trying to come up right at the top of the hour. And unfortunately that wasn't working out so well. So half past the hour, here's what you do. When our show ends at the top of the hour, you go, you get yourself a snack, maybe a nice tall beverage, and then uh, come back to uh, Facebook because priority one, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast is also going to go live tonight. Uh, 11.30 Eastern, 8.30 Pacific, I believe, if I'm doing my math right. Don't count on it. Um, they uh, they cover all kinds of Star Trek stuff. They'll be talking about Discovery, of course, but they also talk about, um, well, just all kinds of news in the Star Trek universe or the Star Trek multiverse, as they say. If you can't join them live, I mean, they are a weekly podcast. They record live, but, you know, check for them on uh, on Facebook or on uh, uh, podcast.roddenberry.com. Uh, there'd be uh, all kinds of ways that you can find them. Of course, they do have a website. I think they have a website. <laughs> They're facebook.com slash priority one podcast, I believe. Um, or just search Facebook for priority one podcast. And you should be able to find them. But really join them live because they would love to see you uh, hang out with them live as well. Coming up at the bottom of the hour. By the way, Ken, somebody pointed out, Peter uh, points out, we got another get it done from the captain, which is so close to do it up or, uh, or my, uh, get it. Um, get it. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Elijah yeah. says, do it up. Um, Earl green says, at least it's not get her done. So, um, yeah, yeah. well, yeah, that is, that right. is true. Hey, so unfortunately we lost Sam, but I think we have a caller who's oh, actually we, calling we, we, like an we, audio. We Sam. Looks like we have, Sam. we have Sam. Yeah. Hey, there he is. Hey, Sam, how's it going? Good, you? Excellent. Doing okay. What's on your mind tonight? Have you read Desperate Hours? And what's your opinion on it? You know? <laughs> oh, I've heard good things. I haven't read it yet, but uh, Dave Mack is a friend, and he is a super talented guy, and uh, we hope to have him on the show at some point, because uh, apparently he has done a really interesting job at trying to tie together some of these um, seeming inconsistencies between discovery and what we know of TOS. Have you read it? I'm about a third of the way in. Okay. And how do you feel about it so far? Yeah, it's good. It it didn't do what you were saying. Okay. Are are you finding that it is uh, enhancing your appreciation of discovery? Like, uh, are you watching it sort of with a new perspective now? Yeah, I guess you, I guess I could say that. All right. Good, good. Well, uh, we will, uh, we'll have to get copies. I wonder, Ken, if we, we know somebody who could get us copies of Star Trek books, that would, that would be nice, right? 
Well, you just said you're friends with the author, so now I'm counting on you. <laughs> okay, well, we'll see what we can do. <laughs> we will see yeah. what we can do. Yeah. Sam, anything about the most recent episode of uh, Discovery? Any thoughts about um, magic to make the sanest man go mad that you'd like to share with us tonight? It was it was interesting. I went into it thinking, oh, another um, time-related episode. Right. And then came out of it thinking, oh, wow, that was actually good. Yeah, you know, I yeah. kind of felt, I, yeah. Ken, you felt the same way. <laughs> I, no, I'm, I'm, I love the time-related episodes. It was a little bit less mind-bleepery than we normally like. I mean, a lot of times in the time loop episode, you don't know what's going on. And this time, we did know exactly what was going on, but I was okay with it. Um, in my notes, I had it as half Ocean's Eleven and half Groundhog Day. Uh, it, was, it was really, it was honestly sort of a pleasure to watch. I mean, to see... I, I'm a huge fan of the time travel episodes, though, or the time loop episodes or the you know time problem episodes. So if it had been 15 episodes of that this season, <laughs> they'd have had me the whole way through because I love those things. Well, and, and here's what it came down to for me. You know, the, this is the, the tough thing about doing any sort of prequel, sequel, extension of a known quantity is that fans want it to be familiar but different. And my worry when I heard that this was a time loop episode is, okay, well, we've seen a ton of time loop episodes, but this was written, directed, and primarily edited in such a clever way that the the pacing was just fantastic. And I love where we ended up at the end of the show. We'd been through so many loops. And at the end, what happened? The crew came together. The crew was Mm. totally on the same page totally had each other's backs, totally bought into the same plan. And that's something that we have not really seen on this show yet. So it was a really interesting way to build that cohesion. And now that that is the, the, the time frame that we ended on, I wonder if that will change anything going forward, if that'll be something that, that sort of has uh, re-coalesced this crew because we hadn't seen them really have each other's backs until now. Not in that way. Uh, Thank you very much, Sam. You're welcome. Take care. Have a good night. And it looks like we have one more caller that we can get to. Uh, John, who is calling us audio only. John, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you? Good. Good name, sir. Glad to have you here. Yeah, it's, it's, it's the best name. Best name. <laughs> you see, I'm, I'm partial to either the name Ken or Ray. Mm, call yeah, me never, both, yeah. never both. Yeah. <laughs> never both at the same time. No. Uh, What's on your mind tonight, John? I'm sorry. Other John. Uh, yeah. Um, well, I, I wanted your opinion on, uh, on Stella. I was watching, uh, this version of Stella and, and, uh, I, I thought about what you said about the original Stella, about the or the robot version of Stella from a from a the, the episode whose name escapes me right now. But she was this, you know, battle axe, you know, stereotyped woman. And I I I guess I don't know what my opinion of this version of Stella is. So I guess I just wanted to ask you guys. This is actually what I was referring to earlier. I can honestly see, and and the drag is, 
they're writing into horrible tropes of the 1960s, right? I mean, the drag is, I could see the woman that we saw tonight becoming that thing that he sort of was represented by the robot. And I could also see Rain Wilson, Terry Mudd being sort of like driven down and beaten down, not by Stella, but by sort of um, her whole family structure thing. I mean, it's obvious he is going to be under somebody's thumb or boot heel from now on. And don't get me wrong, he should be. I mean, the only reason I think he didn't end up in the brig is because you can't really charge him with a crime because it all existed outside of time. So, I mean, I could see, I mean, the Harry Mud that we run into 10 years later, I mean, 10 years are going to pass for these characters. And so I could actually see the germs of those characters that we see 10 years from now and what we saw on Discovery. That was me anyway. John? Yeah, no, totally agree with you. Um, there, Stella is kind of inconsequential to this uh, because what we really are seeing is the, the, the underbelly of mud. And it's totally appropriate because, as you were saying earlier, Ken, when you present mud as a sort of like lovable cad on the original series – but then you don't have to deal with them again. Yeah, we, we got them in two episodes of the original series, one episode of TAS, and obviously they had to tone that down a little bit from who he really is. The guy's a criminal. <laughs> He's absolutely a criminal. Yeah. So we needed to see that part sort of unfiltered. And then it, what the show is doing so well is letting you see the building blocks of the characters that they become, or at least what's lurking underneath. And they did that brilliantly last week with Sarek to let you see what is lurking underneath to then the guy we get introduced to in the original series. So, um, yeah, yes, is my answer <laughs> to, to, to all of that. And, and uh, John uh, and Ken and everybody, I know that we're running out of time. Um, so unfortunately, we've got to wrap it up. We just have like a minute to go. Uh, so very quickly, I'll remind people that Mission Log Live is produced by Roddenberry Entertainment, executive producer Rod Roddenberry, technical production on Mission Log Live by Infinity Networks, producer Brandon Bradley. Be sure to visit podcast.roddenberry.com for the latest from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, including not just Mission Log, but Women at Warp and Priority One. And thank you again to Eagle Moss for sponsoring this week's show. 